Hello and welcome to the Room of Lives. I'm your host, Neil. This episode is a recording of me teaching a beginner's mindfulness lesson to an audience at the University of Texas at Austin. During this lesson, there will be two sessions in which the audience and I meditate silently together, the first for five minutes and the second for 15 minutes. I've clipped those silent periods out of this recording, but if you are a beginner in mindfulness, I suggest that when you get to those points in the podcast, set a timer and do those sessions yourself before continuing to listen. If you enjoy the Room of Lives, consider donating Ether to abhranil.eth. That's A-B-H-R-A-N-I-L dot E-T-H. So I'll just give like an introductory talk kind of thing, and then um, and then I'll do five minutes of meditation, and then some discussion, and then fifteen minutes of meditation, and then I'll show you some resources, and then we'll have a question and answer uh, session. You'll be introducing the speaker. I am the speaker. Yeah. Oh, you mean will I be introducing myself? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you can do that. It doesn't matter. Um, my name is Neil, and I am a uh, physics PhD student. I started these talks. This is the 83rd Molotov seminar, and this is my fifth talk at the seminar. Mm. Okay, so how did I get into meditation? Well, um, there are parts of that story that are not interesting to other people or applicable or usable. But it happened a couple years back, I guess two or three years back, I read a book and then I got into meditation. And uh, in the beginning, I was just very curious. It was written by a neuroscientist, so it got me very curious. Oh, I can look at the nature of my own mind directly without reading books or papers. So I was very curious, and so I did meditation for a while, and all the desirable effects were happening. Like, oh, not only was I becoming more aware of the contents of my mind and the nature of the psychological mechanisms, but I was also becoming really calm. I remember I was super calm. And then what happened was uh, um, I started developing a really negative relationship with my advisor. And for those of you in grad school, that's like, you know, that's, it's not good. Um, and as a result of that, I started developing a bad relationship with my then girlfriend. So um, I kind of started feeling like a ping pong ball that's bouncing back and forth between two walls that are slowly closing in. And so then I thought, oh, okay, I'm just going to... Um, use my meditation to be calm. You know, it's been working all this time and I kind of fallen off the habit so I started meditating again. And guess what? It wasn't working anymore. Okay. So um, eventually the situation itself changed and I learned a couple of lessons about why the meditation wasn't working. 
And then I started meditating again. And now, um, after years of um, almost daily meditation, I feel like uh, I know that I'm emotionally much more resilient than before. Uh, I'm a lot more calm and fearless. And should such a situation happen to me today, I would be a lot better at responding to it. Um, so the kind of anxiety that was, I was just kind of walking through it 24-7. It felt like, so back then when I, things were really bad uh, between me and my advisor as well as between me and my um, girlfriend, I felt like I was walking through a 24-7 sea of stress. Um, uh, but even that aside, I think just in general, I think I shared this with most people, even if there's nothing particularly wrong going on, there's a lot of anxiety just you know, keeps happening. Um, so if you think about that kind of anxiety that was just an everyday phenomenon, it's been at least one and a half years since I felt that anxiety. Uh, just the regular daily level of anxiety I haven't felt in one and a half years. I don't really want to set up your expectations, uh, but this is the reason I want to teach meditation. I feel like after all these years of learning a bunch of physics and math and like going to conferences and teaching all of this stuff, um, I think that the best thing that I can teach a person is meditation. So that's why I decided I want to start teaching. I think after my PhD, I want to start teaching meditation on the side no matter what I'm doing, but I decided to give it a shot um, here today. Okay, so that's kind of the backstory. So how many of you have done some form of meditation before? Show of hands. Okay. How many of you have, uh, are kind of new to meditation? How many of you have never meditated? Okay. So let me ask you, what is meditation? What, what, is, what, is, what have you been told is meditation? Stay silent. Okay. Do not try to think. But I also heard the other way around. Like, it was not about not thinking, but like trying to be calm. Uh, not completely silent, but uh, yeah, I, I, I know that much right now. Okay. What about your idea of meditation? Yeah, I mean, like, like just kind of being aware of what is going on. So not necessarily don't think, but just kind of like paying attention to what you're thinking and just sort of let it happen. That's, mm. that's usually what I've heard. Yeah, okay. So it's good that you brought up, those are the, that's like the, if you ask the average person and the average person hasn't done any meditation. If you ask the average person what meditation is, They'll say something like, oh, you just stay silent and you try not to think any thoughts. Um, and as we'll kind of see today, it's not that at all. And it's not any effort to be calm either. Um, and as I'll explain, that's what kind of, that's the aspect because of which my meditation stopped working when I wanted to be calm through using meditation. Um, okay, so we'll start with the very basic practice. This is a breathing exercise, but it's not really about the breath, it's about attention. The breath is just what's used to anchor the attention so that you can notice when it slips. Um, so what we'll do is, uh, let's make sure that our spines are sort of straight. Uh, 
and then close your eyes and just notice your breath at the tip of your nostril and I don't mean think about the breath or try to control it in any way just notice the raw sensation of the air going into your nose and coming back out just the raw sensation um, and what we're going to do is I'm going to set off uh, a timer for five minutes and for five minutes we're simply going to keep our attention on the raw sensation of the breath at the tip of our nostril. And I'll set us off with a little chime here. Okay, so how many of you had any thoughts during those five minutes? How many of you had no thoughts and could just keep your attention on the breath for the whole of five minutes? Nice. <laughs> if some hand went up, I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> Either you should be here or you should not be here. <laughs> okay, so... If I ask you not to think about a pink elephant, you're going to think about a pink elephant. If you ask you to think about nothing, you're going to think about something. The, the brain is a machine that wants to think all the time. Um, so the exercise ultimately is not to just stay on your breath uh, for as long as you meditate. So this next part, I'm just going to tell you what to do when a thought does come up and you find so what happens is the moment that you, your attention slips from the breath is an unnoticed moment. You don't notice when that happens. But what you do notice is at some point you're like, oh, I'm thinking about something. So what you do then is very crucial. Um, so three steps. The first is simply notice what it is that you're thinking about. Um, Three steps. Yeah. Um, so the first is simply notice what it is that you're thinking about. It might be a thought. It might be some sort of visual element. It might be some emotion. It could be some replaying of a memory, or it could be some uh, a, a sort of uh, some animation of something that might happen in the future. It might be a mixture of could be anything, anything that is not the breath. You suddenly realize, oh, my mind is not on the breath. What is it on? So you simply notice. Um, and when I say simply notice, I mean don't think about it. Simply acknowledge, oh, okay, this is where my mind is. Um, second step is your attitude. Um, so um, for a lot of beginning meditators, and this used to be the case for me, 
the idea was, oh, you have to be calm and you have to have your mind on the breath the whole time. So if my mind slips from the breath, then I'm doing something wrong. So you kind of slap yourself on the wrist for that. Like, oh, I'm doing something wrong. So don't do that. So the attitude is to be as neutral as possible. Oh, this happened. Okay. Um, if you do notice that there is an immediate response of guilt, like, oh, I shouldn't have strayed, then try to be okay with that. Okay. All right. There's guilt. Okay. Um, so the attitude should be that of uh, sort of a, uh, a curious scientist, just, you know, taking data about, well, that's what I was thinking. Okay. Ah, okay, this is what I was thinking. So oftentimes you'll find that you're thinking about some problem that you want to solve. For those, for the time that you're doing meditation in a day, uh, your task is not to solve that problem. It's simply to notice, oh, I'm thinking about this problem. Okay. Um, and then the third step, uh, so the second step is that so there should be a very neutral, non-judgmental attitude to your discovery of whatever that it is you're thinking about. Um, almost as if you were uh, uh, another person looking at the contents of this consciousness. Okay. Um, and then the third step is uh, gently bring your attention back to the breath. And so you have to be kind of gentle about it. Sometimes what happens is you notice a thought and the thought has a certain momentum. So you can't immediately try to break it. It kind of takes some time to dissipate and that's fine. But try to gently bring your attention back to the breath. So here's an analogy. A friend of mine used this analogy. He's kind of geeky. So he talked about a coordinate system and the breath is the origin of the coordinate system. And eventually what you want to... Um, chart out is where your mind is with respect to the coordinate system. So, um, so every time your mind wavers somewhere, you make a note, okay? And then it goes somewhere else, you make a note. And eventually, like, my mind is a lot of the times over here, a couple times over here, etc. So, uh, the breath is sort of an anchor with respect to which the, um, you... Uh, not with respect to which, but it's it's what keeps you sort of anchored but its purpose is not to keep you constantly anchored there are different kinds of meditation for that that develops concentration the thing that i'm teaching you now is not about concentration it's about self-awareness so it's fine to slip from the breath um, as long as you kind of stay neutral about what you discover the analogy that i like to use is imagine that you have a garden and uh, one day you're curious oh what is the pattern of airflow in my garden I want to know about the airflow or maybe a greenhouse gas. That's better okay? because people are more concerned about airflow than greenhouse gas maybe. So an airflow is invisible, so you can't directly see it. So what you do is you take a feather and you put it somewhere in the middle of the greenhouse, let's say a table, and you put it somewhere in the middle. And after a while, just the air, just the wind takes it away somewhere and you kind of follow it and you see, oh, that's where it landed. And you pick it up and bring it back on the table. Um, and you just keep doing this over and over until you're like, hmm, most of the time the air flows over here and these plants are not getting air at all. Um, so it's a way to chart out what is otherwise invisible dynamics of the mind. 
So as you can see from this analogy, it's bo both things are important. To, uh, we choose the breath because it's very easy, it's very boring. It's nothing's happening, it's the same thing over and over again. So it's very easy for the mind to slip from the breath. So this is by design. So that's why you choose something like a feather. If you took a rock, that wouldn't tell you anything about the airflow. So it goes somewhere else. But so you have to non-judgmentally notice. Oh, okay. But if you if you're not non-judgmental, why am I thinking this? Then you interrupt the whole ex experiment. So your job then is ah, oh, this is where it is. All right. And then you pick it back up and put it on the table because you want more data. Okay. So. Um, so with that in mind, we'll now do an extended 15-minute session. This is going to be kind of awkward. I don't know what the last time was that you were just doing nothing for 15 minutes, let alone be in a room with a bunch of other people <laughs> meditating. But um, for some of you, it might make you kind of uncomfortable in different ways, but I want you to explore that. Okay. So I'll set the timer for 15 minutes now. And now you know what to do when you do realize that you're having a thought. Okay. So uh, neutral, non-judgmental acknowledgement, and then gently bring it back to the breath. challenge. Um, actually, I've got a quick question. I'm very new to this meditation yeah. issue, and for me, the main struggle was trying not to sleep. If I was oh, about yeah. to fall into sleep, I was wondering whether people feel the same way, or yeah, if you yeah. also try to not to sleep when you're trying to focus on your breath. Well, if you're falling asleep, you're doing it right. Uh, <laughs> the reason you're falling asleep is that you need sleep. I'm a good student. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, how long did you sleep last night? I usually sleep five hours a day, so five night, five hours. Okay. <laughs> so, I used to have the same issue uh, initially. When I would wake up in the morning and try to meditate, I would find myself falling asleep. And then I found the answer to that exact question. Uh, in a video that I watched, how many of you know this person, John Kabat-Zinn? Uh, some of you know. Well, he's, he's, a, he's one of these people that are called Jubus, who are like Jewish people interested in Buddhism. They went to the East, found all of these exercises, and they came back and to some extent kind of westernized the practices. They gave it different names. For example, the word mindfulness, I guess, was coined or used by John Kabat-Zinn and he developed a bunch of uh, therapies like psychotherapies that use mindfulness. So things like mindfulness-based stress reduction, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. Anyway, he was invited to give a talk at Google 
And he led uh, meditation, and then one of the guys said, I keep falling asleep. And John Kabat-Zinn said, you need sleep. You know? So, um, so when I saw him say that, I was like, oh, okay, this has really nothing to do with meditation. It does have something to do with meditation. So, for example, when you're in bed at night and you're finding it hard to fall asleep, is because your mind is too active. Uh, oftentimes, if the process of meditation is doing its thing, then your mind starts to calm down. And as it starts to calm down, if there is need for the body to sleep, then it will start feeling sleepy. So the solution to that is not to do meditation differently. The meditation part is working fine. Um, it's to get more sleep. And if you can't get more sleep, then the best thing for you to do is meditate at some other time of the day when you're not so prone to be sleepy. Like, let's say the middle of the day, when you have had several hours of work already, and then your mind is kind of active. Um, so there's that. I get plenty of sleep. <laughs> so, <laughs> so these days, so my roommate Benam and I wake up at like 8 a.m. and then we meditate for 30 minutes at 8.30. By between 8 a.m. and 8.30, I've had opportunity to kind of boot up a little bit. He comes straight from bed and it's just <laughs> like, how is this guy not falling asleep? But yeah, um, these days it's much easier actually. So, so I'm just getting enough sleep. Um, and I think just in general, staying uh, in a practice of meditation can help you indirectly to be kind of more thoughtful at work so that you're not, you know, overworking yourself and get enough sleep. So there are all of these tertiary benefits that start to come from meditation, but not in the beginning, like later. Um, okay. So one thing that I did want to stress on is, d does anyone want to venture a guess? So I, I explained earlier about how um, I started mindfulness meditation because I was just curious about it and I felt, I really felt the calming effects of it. But the moment uh, something bad happened in my life and I wanted to be calm in my meditation practice, it just stopped working. The calming effects stopped working. Does anyone want to venture a guess as to why that happened? I would say. I would guess it's because you fixated that uh, goal in your mind and subconsciously your mind is just surrounded around that. Yeah. And, uh, so that's some that's a thought that like you deeply like connect with in, in a kinship way. Yeah. So, yeah. That's correct. So what was happening was that uh, I mean you can't fool yourself. You're one person. So you're sitting down to meditate. At the back of my mind, I'm like, I hope I feel a little better after this meditation. And what happens is the moment, I mean, the moment you go into that, even like subtle things like, oh, you find yourself feeling kind of anxious and you're like, ah, ah, okay, okay, this is not working. And it kind of starts um, going into an avalanche so that uh, by the end of it, I'm just kind of more anxious. Whereas what I kind of talked about today, especially the thing that you do when a thought does arise is kind of a very radical acceptance. Like, hmm. That's what's happening. Um, so when you do that, what happens is the thought has arisen. There's nothing that you can do about it. 
But if you make an effort to simply accept the thought, accept that this is happening, then what you end up preventing is all of the ways in which that thought might propagate other stuff. So one thought usually leads to another, etc., and then connect the dots, and then you have a vision, maybe an exaggerated vision of your advisor screaming at you, whatever, and then you start thinking, ah, oh, what am I going to do, and I'm going to blah, 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 and then maybe out of all of these cluster of thoughts, there arises some action, and because you're anxious, it's usually not a very good action, and actions have consequences, and this consequence causes new thoughts in your head. So, um, so this practice of simply accepting, oh, okay, all right, I'm feeling anxious about, it. oh, okay, you know, uh, that can stem in many ways mental cascades that could lead to uh, bigger <coughs> problems. But in the beginning days of meditation, if you find yourself unable to stop the momentum of thoughts, that's completely fine. At whatever level you can find acceptance, do it. So if, if you can't stop the thoughts, huh, all right. If you can't stop the thoughts and you're feeling anxious about it, huh, okay. If you can't stop the thoughts and you're feeling anxious about it and you feel guilty about feeling anxious, huh, okay. All right. So you've got to start wherever you want, and it's, it's fine. Um, so every time your mind slips uh, from the breath and you find yourself thinking like, hmm, okay, that's part of meditation. That's not failing to meditate. That's the most crucial part of meditation is the acceptance. Um, so if someone comes to me and says, I've been meditating for a while and I've managed in the last couple weeks to not be anxious at all. And another person says, oh, I've been meditating too. I haven't had quite as much luck as this guy. I was anxious 42 times, but I guess that's okay. I'm like, you're doing it right. <laughs> you're, <laughs> the moment something anxious happens, I would like to see what, how you deal with it. Okay, so with that, uh, I do want to take more questions, but before that, I want to show you some resources. Um, so, okay, my resources. It's not very meditation teacher like. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe it's like it's like uh, it's intentional. Like, <laughs> it's intentional. No, I assure you. <laughs> okay. No. I gave the whole game away. It's supposed to be animations one by one. <laughs> okay. So um, okay, some resources. So in your phone. Here is this thing called the Insight Timer, an app that you can download. Uh, I recommend that once I show you everything, you can just take a picture of this slide. So it's a thing called the Insight Timer, which is, that's what I was using, by the way. It's got this nice little bell thingies. And it also tracks your meditation. So it has kind of a log. Um, so it kind of helps you stay on your practice. And you can also have uh, friends or meditating with you, so you can track each other's stuff and it kind of helps you uh, stay more committed to your goal. There are lessons, like guided meditation lessons. I don't do those, I just do my own thing. Um, so you can try out those lessons, I guess, but I do not endorse them in any way. I don't know what those lessons are. I haven't tried them out. Um, okay, 
So there's that. Oh, yeah. Uh, and yeah, so you can find me, Abhinil Das, on that app, and you can connect with me, and you know, can be part of a team of meditators. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so it has like logs like that. Um, okay, second thing. Thanks to Benam for taking a picture of this today. So this is the, it is how do you start a meditation habit? Okay, so we did five minutes and then 15 minutes today. If you are a starting meditator, start with something like five minutes. What is much more important than doing meditation for a long time is doing it, uh, I would say, every day. Okay, so start with five minutes. Start Five minutes is you don't have an excuse for not having five minutes in a day. But what is much more important is to, is to establish a daily uh, practice of sitting down for five minutes. And once you have got that down, you can start increasing the time. Okay. But what is absolutely crucial is to have is to build a daily practice. And so obviously the app kind of tracks it, but it it's not gonna come and tell you, hey, hey, you need to sit down, etc. Um, so this is called the Seinfeldian method of building a new habit. I think Jerry Seinfeld was asked by someone, huh, how do you manage to do all of these things? And I said, Okay, here's here's the way that I know to build new habits and it works. It's called the twenty one day challenge. You take a piece of paper or a calendar or something and you mark out 21 days. This is actually a chart um, on the wall next to my bed and it's called 8 a.m. Wake up, get your ass out of the bed by 8 a.m. Okay. Um, so, um, and then you tick off with a big red marker every day that you make it. And make sure that it's on in, a, in a part of your life that's really conspicuous. Like, you know, I see it on the wall every day. So then if you're trying to establish a habit, it's no longer this nebulous idea in your head that you come back to every couple of days, it's staring you right in the face. And all the successes are really conspicuous. All the failures are really conspicuous. And this was a Saturday, Sunday. Sunday, so it's fine. Um, anyway, but it just makes it very concrete and clear to you, okay? This is a goal that you're trying to achieve, okay? So you can do the same thing for trying to build a meditation practice. Just make a 21-day challenge chart on your wall and tick off every day that you sat for five minutes. Okay, so number three. Okay, so there's this guy. I really like him a lot. His name is David Kane. He lives in Winnipeg, uh, Canada. And for many years, for around the past five or six years, I've been reading his blog. And he's a guy who just, he kind of just left his corporate job and all he does now is spend his time trying to get better at living life. And at this point, he started teaching different things to different people, so he's self-employed. Um, so it's called raptitude.com, getting better at being human. Um, I took, okay, so he was just writing about different things, but eventually he started writing about meditation a lot. And this was kind of coincidental because I was also starting to meditate. And these days, most of his articles are either directly about meditation or they're about insights that you can gain from meditation. So for example, this one post called Accept It, whether you can change it or not. If there is any written text, just a blog post, that has ever had like any great impact on me, it was this. I mean. This, just reading this post changed me in a very significant way. 
so he writes from a very original uh, point of view. He really <coughs> thinks about things, and he usually does not like quote or paraphrase other people. So, and he, he has a very down-to-earth way of looking at things and, and writing about them. So there's not a lot of background or whatever. You can just read one of these. Oh, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. And he like, really thinks about things. So he wrote this post called Accepted, whether you can change it or not. And initially when I read it, it was kind of just like an intellectual realization. Oh yeah, what he's talking about is right. But eventually it started to, uh, it started to sink deeper and deeper into my psychology until it became a habit. So if something really bad happens, suddenly I can sort of come to terms with it in, uh, well, depending on, depending on the intensity. But in a few seconds, usually, like in a few seconds, I'm like, these are the cards I've been dealt. What do I do? Um, so he's really good, and he's got a whole archive, so every once in a while he can read something. Uh, he also, he conducted uh, an online <coughs> meditation uh, camp called Camp Calm, and I participated in it. And as part of Camp Calm, he gave out, uh, he gave us like two books that he has written. These are not available anywhere, um, but I can send you these books um, if you connect with me later. And... They're called Making Things Clear, A Brief gu uh, Guide for People Who Think Meditation is Hard. And that's about mostly just the meditation practice. And the other thing is, you are here, a modern person's guide for, for living in the present. It's how to take your practice and then, and then export it to dealing with different situations in your life. Or how, what, do, what, kind of inter what kind of sense do you make of meditation? when it comes to dealing with a particular situation. Um, so these are both very good. I can send you these books. Okay, number four, an actual meditation retreat. Okay, so Benam and I, uh, did. we actually met at this meditation retreat. Um, and so this is a 10-day silent meditation retreat. There are many different places where you can go to these, but there's one in um, Texas. Kaufman is in the middle of nowhere in Texas, <laughs> and this is uh, a bit farther from Kaufman, more into the middle of nowhere. Uh, so 10 days, no talking, no technology, no reading, no looking at other people in the eye, um, and you're just confined to that area, uh, hours of meditation. Um, it wasn't the problem that it was silent. The problem for me was that it was too loud. Okay, but <laughs> I came back and I gave a Malta seminar called 10 Days of Silence. Um, and it was really, I mean, ultimately it was good. I mean, there, there were times in which it was super frustrating. Oh my God. But in a sense, it was necessary information. And it really did help to reinforce my daily meditation practice. So, but don't sign up for this on a whim. Do not. Um, 
there are people, so they will take you through multiple stages of, are you sure you want to do it? Okay, sign your name here. Okay, we're going to repeat to you what the terms are. Sign your name here. And the next morning, like, do you want to do it? Uh, and then people went through all of those stages. And um, at that point, it's kind of understood. You, you don't leave, okay? Now you're starting, you don't leave. And it's free, by the way. Food, etc. everything is taken care of. But some people still left after a couple of days. You show up at the meditation room, the cushion is empty. So, um, and I can only imagine the kinds of psychological effects that that kind of quitting could have on these people. Like, oh, I couldn't do it. And now they're worse off uh, because they start to believe, oh, there's something wrong with me. So it requires a certain kind of preparation. Um, and no one's going to be able to come and tell you now you're prepared for a 10-day retreat. You kind of have to know it for yourself. So if they send me now to a, I don't know, like a 20-day retreat, inside my head I'm going to be kicking and screaming a lot of that time, but I know that I'll be able to at least stay there, finish the thing, come back. Uh, maybe I'll have to murder some people, but I'll be fine. Okay. So, uh, and you can find information on their website. There's, this is called the Southwest Vipassana Meditation Center. Vipassana is a style of Buddhist meditation. That's what we did today. Um, uh, but their style is uh, kind of different. Uh, but there are a bunch of different locations all around the world, including the US. Okay, number five is my phone number. So if you want to ask me any questions in future about meditation, um, feel free to contact me. Um, also, if you want these books, you can email, you can text me your email address and I can email you the PDFs of these books. Okay, that's it for resources. Let's uh, do Q&A. Yes. So I just want to follow up on your last question about um, why you stopped working for you. So either like relating to my answer of you know it's probably because like we have a preset goal that we wanted to hit. Mm. And I think this happens a lot with people who have uh, moderate experience with with meditation, like myself, because like you got to taste the sweetness of it mm. a little bit. So you yeah. want to like you know get kind of like instant feedback, like I can do this and like calm myself down. Uh, get into a good uh, mental state, yeah. But uh, still, like, how do you, how do you like, get rid of that, like, before yeah, you yeah. do it? Because like, if if you don't, then like, it's, uh, I guess we can agree that it's gonna yeah, yeah. overshadow your whole meditation session. Yeah, sure. So if you're sitting down to meditate, you're obviously doing it because you want to change something about your mind. Right. But at the same time, if you get too hooked on to to that idea, then it's kind of a paradox. It doesn't work anymore. So the ultimate answer, I can't really tell you in words. So there's a balance there. And even to this day, I can't really tell you what the key is. But it's really, I mean, the, the only thing that I can tell you is that it's kind of personal. Like, so there's a certain balance between to what extent you let your mind just do its thing versus no, you really say, no, 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 this is too much, too much distraction. No, no, now you focus on the breath. So there's a certain balance between the two, okay? It's the same quandary that you were talking about. 
by the way. When you're sitting down to meditate, that's what it boils down to. Um, is um, So I think over time, as you simply develop a practice of regularly sitting, you're going to slowly become aware of to what extent is being goal-directed okay and to what extent is not, no, this is too much. Because you're going to start getting this feedback yourself. Like if you're too goal-directed, you're going to start seeing the effects of that. And no one else can come and really tell you this is the, you know, because it's so subtle and, you know, no one can tell you for five minutes do this, blah, blah. But all you can do is pay attention to the feedback of what you're doing and just sort of follow that. Eventually this intellectual question kind of fades away. It doesn't really matter so much. Um, these days, I mean, if I sit down to meditate, it might well be that I had a very distracted session. Um, so I could just tell myself, oh, I don't need to be goal-directed. But I kind of know, I have an internal feeling of when I'm kind of letting myself um, lapse too much. I go, oh, that whole 15 minutes I was thinking about something. Okay, next time I need to make a little bit more effort in staying on the breath. And these episodes have happened in my life where it's kind of phases of uh, more concentration, less concentration. So it's kind of like a tightrope, but your tightrope is your own. Someone else's tightrope is their own. The only thing that I can tell you is you can constantly get feedback about how you're feeling, and you can use that feedback to judge to, should you be a bit more goal-directed? Being goal-directed in the meditation session means keeping your attention on the breath. Uh, being not goal-directed is like, oh, okay, my mind went there. Okay, 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 and then by the end of 15 minutes, you've done nothing. Okay, so these are the two extremes. And where exactly you want to calibrate will kind of develop over time. That's the best I can tell you. Yeah. Oh, uh, further follow-up. So mm -hmm. just as we were uh, talking about it, I. I remember that I read somewhere, I think it's Jensen Sero's book in her um, How to Be a Badass, something like that. Uh, she talked about how like she would have like huge variations in, in, in uh, how she does her um, uh, meditation. So yeah. I guess like we could maybe adopt the strategy to be like macroly okay with like whatever we do in each uh, meditation session. So like, you know, like uh, just be okay with whatever like uh, meditation go how however it goes. Uh, so even if you like you know the session went horribly, like you can still be accepting oh. after the yeah, fact, yeah. right? So yeah. Okay, so here's a little story from, from my own life. This is the first few months of when I was starting to get into meditation and I spoke to two of my friends who are both much more experienced in meditation than I am and I said, Hey, you know, I, I had a pretty bad meditation session yesterday. I said, what do you mean by a bad meditation session? I said, oh, I was distracted a lot. I said, well, that's not a bad meditation session. <laughs> Just the fact that you're constantly discovering that you're distracted is meditation. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, so in that sense, I mean, it's, it's fine however it goes. But there is a little bit of a subtlety there. At some point, you'll notice that you're just sitting down and you're not meditating at all. You're like going through a grocery list or whatever. <laughs> and then at the end of 15 minutes, oh, that's fine. Whatever happened, happened there. So 
when you find that there is no effort at all, then that's also not really meditation. That can sometimes happen. And if that does happen, my recommendation is to take it sort of one step at a time. Like the next time you're like, I'm just going to try to have my attention on the breath a little bit more than the last time. And if it's a little bit more, then it's success. So any little delta in the right direction should be sort of success. But does anyone else have, yeah? I, so, um, there are not this theories, right? But that's how I explain it to myself is, uh, the second stage, stage in your three stage method is to stay in neutral. But normally our mind has a lycometer or this lycometer and just like a thought arises and there's like, I want to think of that or oh, man, I want to think of that. And that, that neutral does not happen, it takes, <laughs> yes. takes yeah. practice. And as soon as either of these dichometer or this dichometer turns on and their amplitudes, that starts the thought train. Yeah. You're mentioning that I imagine as some neuron is firing and I have a dichometer then 10 neurons start firing and I have a dichometer and 100 neurons start firing. So if you are on that train of thought, maybe try to stay neutral and that might help. Well, if you're on a train of thought, there's no trying. You're just on a train of thought. Does, you, you, yeah. you recognize that, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm on this train of thought. Yeah. Uh, and then as the next thought arises, yeah. you Yeah. So punctuated within your meditation session is going to be many moments when you realize, well, I'm on a train of thought. Okay. So over time, what you do is you, through this, uh, through this uh, technique of, eventually bringing it gently back to the breath, you're practicing getting off of trains of thought. And this can have a far-reaching effect in your life. You're starting to get angry at someone. Oh, okay, let's try and get off this train of thought. Might take a while, but eventually get off. Um, yeah, but it can take a while. So for example, so what he was talking about is, okay, so you have a thought and immediately Following that thought, there is a judgment. Oh, I shouldn't have the thought. Oh, th that thought was nice. And if you can't control that that judgment arises, then uh, you could, like I say, you could at least be like, oh, that's fine. That judgment arose. It wasn't my... So what happens is the ways that our minds act is a product of constant conditioning from the moment that we are born. So you can't really hold yourself responsible that this is happening. I mean, I can predict for what... What, what, what beginning meditators would go through when they're trying to, how can I predict it if I don't know you? Well, it's because we kind of went through similar conditioning. So at some point you're like, oh, okay, that happened. If I'm feeling uh, judgmental because I had a thought during meditating, those are two nested thoughts and they're both conditioned. The first is conditioned because the mind just thinks. And the second is conditioned because I've been, I'm trying to clear my head and thus judgment is a natural reaction to having a thought. You're not really the author of any of this, it just happens. The only thing that you can be sort of an author of is at some point, 
uh, we can make a little extra effort in accepting that this is happening. Okay. Okay. So <coughs> this yeah. Uh, so going back to the feather analogy, you mm. make like a little map of where you're visiting and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. After your meditation, do you like go back and revisit the spots? <coughs> no. Okay. You know. Nope. <laughs> um, okay. Sometimes I do. This is don't take my advice. This is not like. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes. So what happens is, uh, if I'm meditating and a lot of the surface thoughts have dissipated. I might have a, like a deeper thought. Oh, I should call up this friend of mine. Okay, and then maybe after my meditation, I'll actually call them up at some point, or decide to read a book, or like find some solution to a problem. Uh, but at the same time, I would not encourage uh, staying on that thought train or keeping thinking about it during your meditation. What well, I meant like after. Yeah, afterwards, it's, oh, okay. yeah, afterwards, but I don't really revisit all the thoughts that I had. Uh -huh. They're mostly inconsequential. Most of the thoughts that we're having is inconsequential. 99% <laughs> of it is just, you're better off without it. <laughs> really, you're much better off without it. But sometimes there can arise uh, a helpful thought, and then you can think about it. But I don't really go back and think through everything. It's just going to be useless. <laughs> It's just going to be so useless. Yeah. How would you characterize your meditation now versus when you started, like in terms of um, are you able to come back quicker to your breath or you have fewer mm -hmm. times where you're getting off the breath or something else? That's a else? good question. Um, I don't think in that regard I've improved much since the day I started. Um, so if I'm actually sitting down to meditate, if I actually could have a way of measuring what fraction of the time I was on the breath versus I'm thinking about thoughts. Okay, there has been one difference though. The difference is that although I am still distracted, in that 15 minute session I probably will be on many different trains of thought as opposed to one train of thought. And that can make a difference too because the longer you are on a train of thought, The, the more its power over your mind and over your actions increases. Mm. So I could still be pretty distracted in a 30-minute session, but I might have climbed, I don't know, 10, 20 different trains of thought. Okay, but as far as the uh, division of the 15 minutes into how long I was on the breath versus I was distracted, I don't think there has been any appreciable increase in staying on the breath. Uh, but what has really changed is, what has significantly changed is my response to when thoughts arise. This is during meditation. And its impact on the rest of my life is um, how I respond to situations. Can you talk a little bit about, more about that, about that? Yeah, I'll give you an example. So this was kind of in the early to mid stage of my meditation. I went to, uh, there's a taco joint on Riverside Drive and South First or something. And it was a rainy day, I was sitting outside and I left my phone inside my bike helmet or whatever on the bench outside. <coughs> and then I went in, I ordered some food, came back, no phone. Okay, so by the way, this phone has 
a lot of stuff. It's my UTID card, mm. my driver's license, my credit card, in case my credit card doesn't work, my debit card. Woohoo! Okay, and then of course my phone itself. So I'm back, I can't find it, I talked to some people. And so what what's happening is my mind is like panic button, panic button, panic button, panic button. It's just it's doing this. And uh, but the new thing that I notice is there's a part of my mind that's watching this happen. And this usually is was in the past not present. It's just panic button, panic button, I'm just like doing this. But there's a part of my mind that's like, oh, look at what you're doing. You're kind of panicking right now. The back of your neck is getting kind of hot and sweaty. And you see how your motions and your actions are slowly uh, losing meaning and rationality. <laughs> and I mean, the rest of me was kind of annoyed at this voice. Like, you're not helping. Boaz says, I'm just going to be here. <laughs> Look at the thing that you just did. That was kind of stupid. <laughs> you know? so, um, so there have been many experiences like this where something <coughs> new happened like that. Um, I think if my phone went missing now, oh, which it did a couple days back. And like the moment I noticed like my phone was missing, the first thing that I did was come to complete acceptance that I will never see it again, and then start looking for it. <laughs> There's a big difference between just accepting and doing nothing about it, and accepting it and then doing something about it. You do a much better job <coughs> if you are calm. Oh, okay, phone is gone. It was a second-hand phone from eBay, not very expensive, I can buy it again. My cards, I'll, do, I'll go online, lock all my cards to go to uh, UT, get a new um, ID card, uh, I have to go to the DMV to get a new license. All right, where is my phone? <laughs> <You know>? So <laughs> then I found it. As a result of the, okay, so at the end of the day, at the end of your life, you'll have lost a bunch of stuff, you know, not being promoted, you know, fall off stairs, whatever. But the, the thing that ultimately matters is what was the quality of your mind throughout your life? So, that can't change. All right. There has to be more questions. I'll ask another question. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you feel like there's certain emotions that um, it's easier to deal with? Like, let's say losing your phone is a situation where, I don't know, maybe you feel angry at yourself or something like that versus, like, maybe there's another situation where you feel, feel uh, fear or something else. Like, are there certain emotions where you feel like you're better able to deal with them versus others. Yeah, yes. Yeah. This varies from person to person. Yeah. So the things that I am more easily able to deal with, fear is something that I'm much more easily able to deal with. Because of meditation. Yeah. I'm kind of dangerously fearless at this point. <laughs> okay. So, for example, Benam is going traveling to Mexico with me in December, and I worry about him. I worry about him. <laughs> <laughs> so fear is something that I just don't feel much of anymore. Because you think you're able to step away from it more and just like make a decision without it. I think it has to do with person-to-person -person variation in how you're wired. So I don't feel much fear anymore. Which is why I don't feel anxious. I don't feel worried. Okay, anger. Anger is kind of in the middle. You know, some of the time I can kind of most of the time you will not really see me angry, but there might be some, uh, some mechanism of anger going on. 
So that's not as easy as fear for me. What is very difficult is restlessness. I have a very restless mind. And that's what I had the biggest trouble with when I went to the 10-day meditation retreat. Before that, I was thinking that after my PhD, I want to go off to a monastery and just meditate for a couple years. Nope. <laughs> nope. So I learned that that's, I don't want to do that. And I also learned that I want to meditate every day. So, so that is an ordered list for myself. It could be a different list for someone else. Yeah. I feel like this kind of ties back to what um, Pratim was saying about when you have a thought having like a, a like or a dislike component to it. Um, I was wondering if you find that there's like um, a different quality to the mechanism of coming back to neutral depending on whether it's like a, ah, yeah, or it's like a, ugh. Because I, 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 I seem, like in my own practice, like it feels like there's a disparity between the two. What disparity do you see? Um, it's way more easy for me to be like, oh, bad thought. I just like, you know, I just like it, but that's okay. Um, mm. But when I like, I'm like, ooh, this is nice. I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> it takes much longer for me to like, be like, ah, just let it go. It's like, oh, okay. Um... I don't think there's much disparity in my case. If it's a good thought, I usually have an easier time returning to neutral. But if it's a bad thought, it goes on for a little longer, so that's kind of opposite. But the mechanism or the prescription is the same. So if I'm having a good thought for too long, I usually don't have good thoughts for too long. <laughs> <laughs> bad thoughts can last pretty long. You know, uh, good thoughts, daydreams, not very long. So when they do occur, that was nice. Okay, let's go back to the bread. It was false, but nice. <laughs> if it's a bad thought, it's much harder to stay aware that it's false for me. Um, yeah, we really believe in our thoughts. <coughs> a related comment, which is yeah. more or less obvious, but I still found it pretty interesting, uh, was just the huge variety of emotional undertones on each of these different trains for me. Mm. Like when I would re realize that I was on one, I'd be like, oh, I'm in a completely different place than emotionally now than I was on the last train of thought. Yeah. Which probably says something about how far down I'm going on these trains. But yeah. like if the bell had rung at the end of one train of thought versus another, I would have been in a completely different mood. That's good. That means you're riding multiple trains of thought. <laughs> and that's, that's better than riding one train of thought because if it's just a train of anger thought, for 15 minutes, you'll be very angry <laughs> at the end. But if it's charting like different things, then yeah, it's all right. But really there's nothing, uh, okay, there's one thing to add there. So the, 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 the basic prescription remains the same. But one thing that I heard, and I've kind of started to believe that it might be true, is, um, so I heard someone say once who, I mean, he wrote the book, the, that uh, kind of got me into meditation, he was discussing on his podcast with someone, he was talking about emotions. So if you have a certain mental emotion, um, and you're like on one of these trains that has an emotional undercurrent, um, he was saying that, you know, if you start uh, developing self-awareness, what you notice is that the emotion is just a bodily sensation. But then once there is the bodily sensation, it's connected to thoughts and interpretations and judgments and decisions in your head. And those are new things that you're creating that are going back and feeding back and sustaining that emotion. 
For example, if you are angry, you will you will repeatedly uh, yeah 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 sure. You will repeatedly play back in your mind the thing that happened to make you angry, and then maybe there'll be new thoughts like, oh, next time I'm just, I should have told him this. You know, you replay back in your head you you know getting back at them with the perfect response or whatever. And these are the things that keep sustaining the feeling of emotion. And so what this person was saying is, if you resist, if you can get yourself to a point, and this is not easy at all, if you can get yourself to a point where you're not feeding back new stuff into the emotion, new thoughts or new whatever, then the emotion itself, once it arises, can kind of flow through you and it's gone in seconds. Um, but I think that's hard to do. But to some extent, I can see, in a more limited sense, I can see that happening. Like if I'm angry now at someone, then earlier it would take longer. Um, but now I can kind of start to put the brakes on. Every time I notice, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm angry, then the same voice said, you should probably not say this right now. Yeah, just, and uh, that can have an effect on and every time I listen to that voice, I never regret it. <laughs> never regret it. Um, so, yeah. But no special instructions there. It's all kind of part of. And emotions are not a problem. Uh, we have all these thoughts and interpretations about emotions. So the emotions are the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg. What it really signifies is something very dark or whatever. That can be a bit of a problem. But if you can sort of open yourself up to your emotions, like, oh, I'm just feeling, I'm feeling sad. Okay, this evening I'm just going to feel sad. Then uh, eventually you'll notice that there is nothing to fear from the emotions themselves, which can be very liberating. Um, so this guy goes through some of that stuff in his blog posts. Kind of like a child, like, you know, they're always so emotional. Like, you take away a toy and they start crying, but then it's kind of gone in a moment and they're now doing something else. Um, as adults, we can bring the best of being a child and the best of being an adult together. I think that's what kind of meditation uh, can enable you to do. So I'm just going to feel this emotion. Fine. But I'm not going to throw a tantrum <laughs> about it because I know what the consequences are. Um, so there are some good things that adults learn and there's a bunch of bad things that adults learn. <laughs> so, <laughs> and anyway, that's for a different, that's a different topic for a different day. Who is the person you're talking about? I read the book, was it Sam Harris? Yeah. I don't want to bring him up anymore so much because a lot of people <coughs> have a negative image of Sam Harris. He said sensationalist things about... Islam and terror, and so people think, oh, there's this media-talking head, and he's an Islamophobe. So it just immediately colors their perception of what I'm about to say next. Mm. But the book that I read was called Waking Up, A Guide to Spirituality Without Religion. And it was a cornerstone in my life. I was going to ask you one other question, too, related to the thing with fear. So like, do you ever feel like you're making a decision that you shouldn't have made because you didn't have that voice telling you, warning you? Yeah. 
Uh, yesterday or the day before, I got into an argument with a postdoc in my group. And yeah, I went through successive stages of losing my cool. And that voice in my head did kind of keep it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't lose my cool enough, uh, uh, too much, so that <laughs> I grabbed him by the collar. Okay, so, but I did, uh, I did uh, get um, angry to the extent that I, in retrospect, I do, did not want to, or do not want to. In future, I would like to. So it was kind of a balance. I guess I'm saying, like, if there was something where you would make a decision that's yeah. dangerous because you're sort of more detached from that emotion, if you see what I'm saying? Like, in a sense that it's better to have, like, to feel that and be like, hey, like, this is, I'm getting that sense that this is something bad that's about to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I no, uh, there is no problem in feeling the emotion itself. Mm -hmm. But you have to be kind of careful about structuring your decisions or thoughts, because if you're still in that emotional phase, that can guide your intellectual process. If you're angry, you become a slightly different person intellectually as well. And the thing that we don't admit, especially scientists, is, oh, we're such intellectual and rational creatures. But you piss one of them off, and you ask them about something that's kind of related to what they're pissed off about, and they can come up with the most magnificent intellectually immaculate structures that completely justify what they're feeling so angry about. You ask them about it the next day, they're like, ah, oh, uh, that wasn't really, you know. So, um, so emotions are fine. <laughs> <laughs> emotions are fine just as long as you're not like immediately acting on them so when these emotions have kind of taken hold of you the task there is to just let them do their thing while you just sit there and feel it and they will dissipate after a while and once they've dissipated then you can think about your actions or what actions to take so I'm not saying disconnect from your emotions but emotions and thoughts at the same time that's not a good recipe Usually if you wait, your thoughts become better. <laughs> yeah. Um. Also, like, I think um, many times um, the, the, the emotions are like certain chemicals being released in certain ratios. They don't, they don't know, they, they were appropriate for the stonage in the man having to taste tigers and this and that. But for a complex world, they don't know if they are tuned in the right way. And so they might feel the emotion in a wrong degree. Hmm. And if we, we get, then if we reinforce it again with our thoughts and our rationalizing of, oh yes, I'm angry because that person is an asshole, this is that. Or do this the next time. And then it just reinforces it and just, hmm. uh, instead, if you do this, there are times when the emotion is absolutely right. And you can, the, the, that observer can say, oh, it's the right time to be angry. Mm -hmm. And you yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there are right times to be angry. Um, when you realize that if I'm not angry now, I'll be taken advantage of. So you do that. But like you said, so for example, there are all of these emotions that over evolutionary time periods, they kind of perfected themselves in us in order to deal with different situations. 
So if you're out, like imagine one of our hunter-gatherer ancestors, they get into a fight with someone and they know that you know, there has to be aggression, otherwise I'm going to die. But if in today's world, you wake up, you're super cranky and you go to HEB and they're out of your favorite kind of chocolate milk and you find that aggression, that's misplaced. And there are people, like you can see videos of people throwing their computers out of the... Okay, um, would have been really useful if that was a predator of some sort. <laughs> your computer. So, I guess I'm interested, like, if you ever feel like you regretted not listening to that emotion, though, in a sense, like, you put yourself in a dangerous situation, you had the voice saying, hey, this is not a good situation, but you're like, you know what, I'm going to detach from the emotion, I'm going to do this. Yeah. So, and then, in retrospect, you're like, no, that, I can't that was a valuable it's, voice. I have yeah. never been able to detach from an emotion. That's just, that just doesn't happen. But I thought you said you feel less fear now, so I'm kind of using that oh, as an example. Oh, I don't detach from... Well, okay, so what happens is, so one of the way, th ways, I don't really detach from it. Okay, maybe that's not the right uh, I, I feel more of it. So funnily, since I became more fearless, I've been feeling more fear, but there's less anxiety about it. So for example, mm -hmm. I go climbing, and one of the things that I like about climbing is making that move where I'm about to fall. Okay, but there is not so much of a, a baggage attached to it anymore. You kind of know, if I fall, I'm going to be fine. So then that moment of fear is just this very short-lived, transient sensation that coursed through your body, and now it's gone. Mm. So instead of stopping you from making that move, yeah. Yeah. you kind of just continue to make that move while experiencing fear through Yeah, it. yeah. So I noticed oh, that, that experience of fear is not itself a problem. It's trying to tell me something. Mm. It's trying to tell me something that's very useful. It doesn't know, my body doesn't know that there's a pad on the ground. It wasn't wired mm. to know these things. I intellectually know. So what I can do is I can accept that fear, but let the, my intellectual mind say, hey, you can still make that move. The thing that stopped me earlier from making that move was anxiety. It wasn't actual fear. I wasn't really, I was just there, huh, I'm going to fall. It's a thought about fear in the future. So that's anxiety. Mm. So I was feeling fear, but a different kind of fear then. That was not very helpful. So um, in a way, meditation kind of brings the different stages of your mind, like the more lizard brain, automatic kind of amygdala stuff, and um, the, the, the more recently evolved parts of your like higher cognitive mind like the what's it called the, pre the prefrontal cortex, cortex it, it kind of they start talking to each other a lot more so the prefrontal cortex goes to the amygdala and says uh, okay can we have an agreement here this is the climbing wall you're gonna be fine <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm just gonna do this all right and the amygdala is like no 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 i need like do it and the amygdala was like okay here's your little fear response and the uh, prefrontal cortex takes it and says, okay, but he did see how you didn't fall, right? So next time, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> it happens like in little bits and pieces. So in many ways, I feel like the different stages of my mind are kind of coming into alignment and they're talking to each other more and I'm kind of seeing the, the benefits of all of them. So the, my prefrontal cortex or whatever, you know, at a higher stage can now sometimes know very well, you're misfiring now. 
okay, go and sit in the corner. <laughs> since there's no reason to misfire. But at the same time, if it's misfiring, if I'm about to give a, a, give a talk in front of a room full of people and my heart rate goes up and my, you know, my, the back of my neck goes whatever, so that's like an emotional reaction. At the same time, there can be the prefrontal cortex or whatever. You can say, it's fine. This is natural. It can happen. And then you can kind of even sink into it. Like, what does it feel like? Mm. So my, our normal reaction is to run from it or to detach from it. Whereas this is the exact opposite. So while I was pacing around before I started the talk today, I was feeling kind of nervous. Uh, so it's like, how does it feel to be nervous? Uh, is it kind of awkward for me to be pacing around like this? <laughs> well, if it is awkward, what in my body makes me feel that this is awkward? So, um, I think it's sort of a greater connection with your emotion, minus all the stories mm. about it. Hope you enjoyed this episode and will find it useful. So long and take care until we meet again.